I might be getting too used to this. I like you guys. It's been a great week. Thank you so much. I first came to Covenant College on a dare for my boyfriend. I was, I've mentioned, am I doing something here? I was uh, working for a congressman on Capitol Hill. Nat Bells was working for Prison Fellowship, who had only recently been started by Chuck Colson. We were both living in Washington, D.C. And on a Thursday, Nat came down to Lookout Mountain for homecoming to see his family and friends and maybe an old flame or two. But within hours of getting here, he called me on a landline. I want you to picture this. And he said he wanted me to come down. He said, you can fly down tomorrow. And I said, whoa, this is taking things to a new level. And I talked to a friend who gave me some good advice and encouraged me to go. And so then I went back to my desk and sat down at my landline and threw out a fleece. I called Eastern Airlines. There was only one flight I could take. And when I asked about it, they said it was booked. No seats left. So I called Nat back and I said, really wanted to come. And I'm really sorry, but there aren't any seats left. And there was a little pause on the other end. And he said, that's because I reserved the last one in your name. Marry that guy, right? So, checkmated. I flew down to Chattanooga, Tennessee. He picked me up. It was the dark of night. No surprise to you, we headed up the mountain in total fog. And he was whipping through the curves. And I had no idea where we were going. I could not see beyond the windshield, and every time the wiper swiped across it, the windshield fogged back up again. My destination, you might say, wasn't real to me. Covenant was just a name. Lookout Mountain was a sign at the bottom of the hill. And had no idea what was ahead in that dark, damp night. But what was ahead? What was the reality of what was ahead? The reality of what was ahead was a welcome to my future. My future family, my future husband, my future children, you might say, who ended up all coming here, going to Covenant College. And keep in mind, I was, as I told you, a pretty new Christian. I had no Presbyterian pedigree, and Nat Bells was Covenant College royalty. I had no catechism questions I could answer at that point. No idea of what was waiting in store for me. And you know, I was thinking about this because it was 40, 40 years ago this month. And here we are today, 
And I want to stand before you as a picture of grace. I really do. Not a picture of any sort of accomplishment or any sort of grand plan. We've had some great conversations about planning your life, and you can't, is the simple answer. And so that's why we need the things we've talked about this week, this resilient hope and resilient faith and resilient hope that we'll talk about today and resilient community. Because when we look at our own journey through life, at the twists and the turns, without knowing or thinking much about what's ahead, then we can miss the best part. Even here at Covenant College, you guys can focus on creation, fall, and redemption, and miss out on what? Consummation. The consummation that can be waiting at a mountaintop figuratively or literally. It's the consummation of the kingdom of God that ushers in peace, that vindicates the church, that vanquishes her enemies, that conquers sin, that takes away death. I don't know any other religion that has this at the end of the day like we have this. It's a consummation that helps us when we are stranded on the foggy roads of life. So, and it's, it's also the consummation that is what the conclusion of so many of the things that we've talked about this week. It is the faith of Hebrews 11.1, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then there's this in verse 3 that we, so often we don't recite this part. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. Even what is seen is made by faith and not by what is visible. We live in both a created order and a future order that rests on faith and gives us hope. Down into Hebrews 11 in, chapter, in verse 16, it talks about the people who died in faith, about Abraham and Sarah. People like our Iraqi friends, our Afghan friends, who have not made it to be part of the surviving church we've talked about this week. Brothers and sisters who are facing death right now. It says that they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And when we speak of the consummation of the kingdom, we mean not only a destination. This is a city where everything is made new, where we have a whole new condition, where every tear is wiped away and where death shall be no more. And where God is not ashamed to call us his people. Take that with you today. Take that on your fall break. We can't fathom this new, new Jerusalem if we're honest. We can't comprehend the condition where there are no tears and no mourning and no pain and no death. But this is the bright mountaintop that we're going to. This is the home that's in our future. It is the welcome that awaits us. 
And the surviving church that we have been talking about this week, we focused a lot on the church in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I'm going to continue that right on through. But it applies to a lot of churches in a lot of places. The surviving church isn't just about trying to survive. It has survived because it is about trying to be transformed, because it's yearning in to this hope, looking toward consummation. Resilient hope is future, and it's also now, because we, the church, play a role in ushering in the new Jerusalem. In Revelation 11, if we had more time, we'd we turn to there and we'd really look at this passage, but I'm going to go through this quickly. The whole scene shifts from the woes of the earth to the worship of heaven, from the suffering and the judgment that has been proclaimed in the first half of the book to um, right in the middle where, where we shift toward a heavenly focus and even time begins to unroll. The ESV Study Bible has a great note on this. It says, songs from the future consummation in Revelation 11 speak back through time to the suffering church. And up until this point, God's judgments, up until this point, God's judgments through the seals, through the notes to the churches, the word to the churches, through the trumpets, it hasn't guaranteed repentance to the nations. It's kind of like Exodus, where the plagues only harden Pharaoh's hearts. But now you have this, the Lamb's scroll unrolled, and the two witnesses come forward in Revelation 11, and they are the churches, and the scene changes. And I will quote from the Bible Project, which has a great passage about this passage. It says, the message of the Lamb's scroll reveals the mission of his army, the church. God's kingdom will be revealed when the nations see the church imitate the loving sacrifice of the Lamb, not killing their enemies, but dying for them. It's God's mercy shown through Jesus' followers that will bring the nations to repentance. God's mercy shown through Jesus' followers that brings the nations to repentance. The new Jerusalem is no static showpiece. It's not only a mountaintop that we can't see. It is a hive of activity that extends from eternity back into now. So on Wednesday, as we talked about resilient faith, we saw Stephen, if you remember, as an example of all of the church's suffering. We saw that in the midst of Stephen being stoned, how Jesus stood up at the right hand of God, how he was engaged in what was happening to the church. And so, yes, the work of the cross, Jesus' work on the cross is finished, but the consummation does not happen without us. How do we enter into this resilient hope? First of all, by believing the word that we have, the word in Hebrews 11 about faith and things that aren't seen. Secondly, by showing mercy, by loving sacrifices, by not killing enemies, but dying for them, literally, figuratively. By, as I said earlier this week, small acts that don't need big names. 
My gateway to learning about the church in Iraq was a woman named Insaf Safu. I flew with her into Baghdad in 2003, and I began to follow her around. She was a refugee who'd been 10 years outside of Iraq, and she was coming back for the first time. And it was all new, and I have to explain to you and remind myself that in 2003, we had no Facebook. We had no iPhones. She was very cut off. She hadn't seen a lot of her relatives in 10 years. And I traveled with her everywhere she went, into churches, into neighborhoods, into places that she, neighborhoods where she had lived as a child. And she went door to door trying to find out how the Christians were doing. And at one home, we met a widow named Joanne. She was a new widow. That week, her husband had been killed in a roadside bomb, left her and her 13-year-old daughter destitute. He had been an oil engineer, and now they had no money and no hope for the future. And as Insaf and Joanne talked, Joanne began to sob. She didn't know how she was going to make it. She couldn't face the future, she said. And then finally she said, I am burning from inside, burning and burning. And when she said that, Ensof got up and went across to her and wrapped her arms around her and held her and started to pray. And the, what she prayed was this. She said, my pocket is empty, my hand is empty, but I can pray for you and I can be your voice to God. I can be your heart and we can see how God provides. And she kept praying, and you could see Joanne relax in her arms and her sobbing start to stop. And then Ensaf prayed, may the power of the love of God to make this fire inside you become like cold water. This is the kind of transformation that we can learn from the suffering church, the resilient church, the surviving church, Fire to become cold water. Grief and need transform somehow into blessing. Real need, not glossing over the needs, the deepest needs, but praying for God to transform them into blessings and into blessing others. Even think about it, blessing our enemies. How crazy. What Ensof was praying for was for the supernatural. She was praying with Hebrews 11:1 1, faith. She was praying for God to turn suffering into blessing. And Ensof knew suffering. She had, she had, had a, a, a missile come through her kitchen during the Iran-Iraq war. She had had to flee and walk out of Iraq with her young family, her small children. So she wasn't praying in theory. She was praying for, with real hope. And then there also is this, is leaning into the future, taking that real hope and leaning into the future and actually living out the hope. And that brings me to a story about the Afghans, something that happened just this year. In April, as the Taliban was starting to take over the rural parts of Afghanistan, the outer provinces, Many of the Afghan Christian leaders flew out of the country. They went to one of the uh, Gulf countries, and there they met 
Some of the Afghan church leaders living in the diaspora that I've mentioned, living in places like India or Europe or even America, they had sort of a mini conference and they came together to think about how they would survive what, was what they thought was coming, what they needed to do. And you know what some of the Afghan pastors said, the ones living in Afghanistan? They said, we've been thinking about this for a long time and what we want to do is change our religious affiliation on our identity cards. So national identity cards in that part of the world are like driver's license for us. They're things that you show everywhere. And also in that part of the world, they have religious affiliation, and it would usually say Muslim, or it might say Shia or Sunni, but it would say Muslim. And all of theirs, because they were Muslim converts, and because identity is headed, handed down, father to son, father to daughter, um, would say Muslim, even for those who had converted to Christianity. But what they wanted to do is ask the government to change their identity. And it meant that in the government records, it would say that they are Christians. And on the card, it would say other. And there were many of the people at this conference who said, this is not a good idea. This is not the time to be thinking about this. You don't have to do this. But they did it anyway. And at first, when I found out about this, I was told that 22 pastors, 22 leaders in the church had done it. But as things got worse and worse, and this kept coming up because the Taliban was actually coming to the homes of those who had changed their identity, the government records had been seized, I found out that hundreds of Afghan Christians had actually done this. And do you know why they did it? They did it for their children. No matter what happened to them, they wanted their children to be able to embrace a legacy that said other, to have a record that said Christian, for their own conversions to mean something for the next generation. This is the kind of sacrifice that we see played out in Revelation that we see bringing in the nations through the repentance and the faith of believers, you and me, them over there now. We can't let our eternal destiny, our new heavens and new earths be just a road sign at the bottom of the hill, can we? Or a signpost that we see along our foggy way an unfamiliar place. We need to embrace and study and learn and talk to one another. Do we talk about it? I don't. We need to talk about it more and think about it more. This is my hope, my prayer for you and for us as we end the Schaefer Conference and end our time as you all set out on fall break this week. Let's pray. Oh God, make speed to save us. Make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen and Alleluia. Amen.